This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles. We are brought to you by our friends at Athletic Greens. One-stop shopping for 75 high-quality vitamins to help you start your day right. Also, betonline.ag, fastest, easiest way to bet on sports. Greg, the uh, news of the week is this Tom Brady podcast. As we know, he does one every single week during the football season with Jim Gray and Larry Fitzgerald. It's called Let's Go. And on the Let's Go podcast, we had Bill Belichick as a guest as part of this week's podcast. And before we get into some particulars that you wanted to discuss, just your general 30,000 feet reaction to having both of these guys on this pod together and, and how the interview went. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was, you know, overall, um, I thought it was really good. And I thought it was um, it was a good move by both guys to do this now um, as quickly as possible after the end of, of Tom's career. I thought it was I thought it was really good. I thought both guys sort of said things, especially Belichick to Brady that I think Brady um, needed to hear. And I think you heard that sort of emotion hitting right off the top of the podcast um, when Bill talked about how, you know, Grady was and, and, uh, and then, you know, Tom got emotional and, and I thought uh, one of the more poignant moments for me was right off the top where Tom, you know, his, his emotions breaking. And he says, you know, cause he was asked like what Belichick did for him as a player. And he said, I think it's more, what did he not do? And I think what Tom yeah. meant by that, my interpretation was, you know, he didn't, he didn't kiss my ass. You know, he, 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 he really drove me every single day throughout my career. Did I love it at the end of my career? No, but was it what I needed? Um, absolutely. And I, I thought, I thought it was great overall. I thought it really got better as the podcast went on. And in fact, I wanted it to keep going. I didn't want Gronk to jump in from his car, whatever he did <laughs> being Robbie G. Um, because Belichick had started to loosen up and he was really being the best version of Belichick, the stuff that we rarely get to see at the podium um, during the football season where he started to loosen up. He started to swear a little bit more, you know, the story about Brady at Pebble beach, um, you know, hitting basically off a cliff and Belichick thought, you know, there goes my quarterback. He's going to die on the rocks here. And, and that sort of stuff I thought was just, uh, really good, and I think they both could have kept going as they loosened up. Um, but overall, I just I thought it was really good. I thought it was really cool for the fans. Um, I'm sure you can speak to that more, Nick, um, considering you you come from more of a, a Patriots p uh, fan perspective and what these guys meant to you over the course of your life and and you know sort of uh, sporting career. Um, I, I just thought it was overall it was. It was cool that they did it. I think it's going to me. It's the it's the first of um, many sort of interactions that we're going to see with these guys because they realize that how intertwined their history is and how their legacies are intertwined and how that's going to be the story for the next you know for the balance of their lives. So to to sort of come together a little bit now um, so quickly is a good start to that. Yeah, I thought it was the like it was the perfect public resolution, so to speak, between these two guys after all the stories with the Seth Wickersham thing and and how things kind of ended in New England. It, it was a chance to publicly say, no, we're good. And and that's not to say that they they were perfect going back a few years ago. 
uh, because they weren't, which we'll get into. But, you know, it, it was a nice thing to see that like, all right, it's it's almost like getting into a fight with a family member. Right. And seeing them kind of get back together and realize, well, you know, I wouldn't be myself and you wouldn't be you if we weren't brothers or, you know, sisters or something. It was almost that kind of feel where they they had the the in-family bickering and, and some of the issues. But at the end of the day, we mean a lot to each other. And to see that and to hear that is is worth it. And I think it goes back to when Tampa played in New England and Belichick and Brady had that get together in the post game between just, you know, them two and behind closed doors. I think that was kind of the the private let's get together and 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 figure things out here because we don't want to continue our football lives and personal lives after football, you know, talking about each other and, and trying to handle things awkwardly. Let's let's appreciate what we've meant to each other. And I thought that was uh, the, the message that was sent. And I think it was a message that needed to be sent after some of the stuff that had been written and said. Um, there was a certain Brady quote t- uh, that that really stood out to you, Greg. And you think some people are misinterpreting it. Talk about that for us. Yeah, I was really, you know, and Boston Sports Talk Radio has been all over this for the past couple of days, um, which they should be. And it was, you know, it was the quote about where Brady says, in my view, people were always trying to trying to pull us apart. I don't think we ever felt like that with each other. We, ne- we never were trying to pull each other apart. We actually were always trying to go in the same direction. And I think when we were in New England for 20 years together, they got tired of writing the same story. So once they got done writing all the nice things, the championships and this, and then they then they just go well this works let's just try, let's start trying to divide them so i think um my thoughts on this are i think and and even i sort of mistakenly did this on Felger and Maz the other day and and i do think there's there's a little bit of whitewashing and and we'll, we may or may not get into that i mean i do think um in general about that i think that brady and especially belichick I think Belichick is always the guy, and I think Brady's being clued into it now about you know legacy and perception and things like that for the balance of his career. You know, he's going to start looking at the long game in terms of how his career is couched and and how he's spoken about. I think from Belichick's perspective, I think he he looks at uh, something like the Last Dance with Michael Jordan and those Bulls, and I don't think he wants to be Jerry Krause or you know Jerry Reinsdorf you know, who both of those guys came off really poorly in the last dance and were sort of pointed at like, you're the reason that this ended. And I think Belichick wants to avoid that um, for obvious reasons, even though I don't really think he needs to, because I think in 50 years from now, no one's going to really remember the end and Brady playing with the Bucs. They're going to remember the greatness that they had together. But in general about this quote, I think a lot of people are defensive, um, including us in the media and, um, you know, Seth Wickersham, myself, Tom Curran, we were sort of ahead of the curve in terms of reporting the issues that were going on behind the scenes, really starting with the 2017 season. And then that was the beginning of the end when Belichick did not give Brady a- an extension after the 2016 season when he won a Super Bowl, won the MVP. Um, that was the beginning of the end. And, you know, we don't need to rehash history. Um, you can just go back and read a lot of the quotes from Tom Brady Sr. at the time, who is, who, thank God we have Tom Brady Sr. now to give us the history. You know, he, he gives the proper context of what was going on. But in general about this quote, I don't think that quote was about 
the um, the discord that obviously went on, and that's all factual. To me, this was about the debate that has um, continued to rage, um, in which I think is nonsense, and including at you know at bostonsportsjournal.com, our our Twitter feed for the for the company. You know, there's a pinned post on there where I wrote a column saying like, you know, the Brady versus Belichick debate is stupid and like it's pointless. Like, what are we doing here? And I, I believe that and I agree with Tom. I think he's talking about even though people will pull out certain quotes to fit sort of their agenda and what they want to believe. Um, I think this was really about people saying like, well, Brady was more responsible or Belichick was more responsible, or look what Brady's done with Tampa, obviously, and we'll look at what has happened to the Patriots 25 and 26 since he left. They haven't won a playoff game. That's that's proof that Brady was more important. And I think what Brady was saying there was, look, this was a partnership, and neither of us was going to win six Super Bowls together, or six Super Bowls apart. They It was a partnership, and they were they were as great as they were because of each other, because of all the things that Bill illustrated about Tom, about raising people up and and how he was able to be coached hard and how that was an example and the contracts he took. And Brady couldn't have been as great as he was if Bill wasn't as demanding as he was um, year in and year out. And so I think that's really the crux of what that quote was about for Brady, which was, you know, People are trying to make this Brady versus Belichick. Who is more responsible? Look, the bottom line is we were never going to be as great apart as we were together. I remember working at EEI uh, during the the 2020 COVID season and, and this idea of the Brady versus Belichick thing. And I know yep. uh, it's it's the thing in sports radio and sports debate television to pick a side and it's black or white and blah, 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 blah. And I know – some people might have, you know, listened to me during those times a couple of years ago, thinking like, "Oh, he's sitting on the fence." And, but no, I, I've said it from the beginning. It, it's Brady and Belichick. It's not Brady versus Belichick. It, there's a, a lot in this world, as we know, is gray, and everybody tries to treat it constantly as black or white. And the fact is, if you're going to be as successful as this team was for two decades, it is a partnership, it, and and you do have to, you do have to create the culture that Belichick created. And as you said, he was calling the shots personnel wise and putting the rosters together. And there are big, big, big games in their history that, yeah, if it wasn't for Brady throwing for 350, they wouldn't have won. But there's also games like the Super Bowl against the Rams, the last one for Brady and Gronk, where you don't win that game if Belichick doesn't erase Sean McVay's offense. So, yep. you know, the, there, there are all those different examples and there's all in-game management stuff, clock management, decisions that are made. And, and we go back and we just think it's oh so simple, starting with the first Super Bowl against the Rams and, and Belichick's ability again to ground that Rams offense and Marshall Falk and the plan going in and allowing Brady, making the decision to trust Brady on the final drive that won the game. These are all gigantic decisions made by the coach and they played a vital role in the success. And that's just how it is. That's fact. It's it's not it's not trying to you know, play the middle or whatever. That's how I see it. And that's how, I, uh, how I've always seen it. And I have said from the beginning, you know, we go with this revisionist history and we look back at, you know, how things crumbled and everybody, everybody has the palace intrigue. Everybody wants to talk about how things died. 
the, the, you know, it, it might sound simple. And again, it might not please everybody. Oh, he doesn't have a hard enough take. Whatever. Get out of my face with that. I've got plenty of hard takes if you listen to me. What, there's, there's not many dynasties in, in sports. And there's a reason for that. You don't last 20 years together when you have the kind of egos that are involved. And, and you know, you can look at it. You can look at it, right, Greg? I mean, Joe Montana didn't last. Brett Favre didn't last. A, a lot of these relationships across all sports, they don't last because guess what? It's really damn difficult what the Patriots accomplished. It's almost impossible, especially in the league that they play in and with the salary cap and everything they have to deal with. So to me, it was the natural progression of like, hey, man, they had a great marriage, but they grew apart. They didn't agree eventually, and they decided to divorce and each moved on. That happens in life and it happens in sports. We don't have to have some kind of cataclysmic event or choose which side was better over two decades. How about these guys accomplish something that we will probably never see in our lifetime again? And isn't that enough? And for some people, it's not enough because some people have to fan the flames and throw gasoline on the fire and say, oh, if it wasn't for Belichick doing this or doing that. Hey, man, two decades, two decades. Look around. It doesn't happen often. So treasure what you saw. And I think that's what Brady and Belichick are now doing. They understand, yeah, it didn't end great. We had the bickering. But at the end of the day, we accomplished something really, really great. I don't know how much you want to jump into that revisionist history, Greg, and and the relationship and how great relationships in sports usually kind of, you know, happen the way Brady and Belichick ended up happening. But just kind of looking back, to me, my, my two cents, and I said this, you, you can, a D, EEI might have, you know, I don't know if they destroyed the tapes or whatever. But you can go back and you can listen to me, and, and I'm not always right, but I feel like my takes back then aged like a fine wine. And you know, Belichick had a decision to make with a quarterback that was in his 40s, and he had to make the decision, am I going to trust that Tom Brady is going to go against everything I've seen in history, and Belichick is a big guy with history, and, and history indicates the future and all of that stuff. And he looked at it and he said, yeah, you know, Tom's really good, but I don't think Tom's going to be really good three years from now. And my responsibility to this organization is to set us up to succeed. Did it end up being a mistake? Yes, because Tom Brady defied age like LeBron James is right now in, in the NBA at 38 years old. And those anomalies happen. But Belichick was not going to bet on an, an anomaly, whether you agree with it or not. And so I always thought, like, for the, for the best of the organization, he decided to move on from the guy who was aging. And it, it did not age well for him because Brady was great. And that's awesome for Brady. But I don't think Belichick made some asinine, ridiculous decision to not give a guy who was approaching 40 years old a long-term contract extension yeah um it's just funny when you were talking about that I was just I was just imagining like you know if I put on Twitter um like the 2019 season if I put on Twitter basically like Belichick's take which was Tom can't do it anymore Tom's too old and like oh that take that take really aged well um, you know, once Brady <laughs> did what he did, but, you know, a couple of thoughts on that, uh, real quick. I, I do think, um, <clears throat> I thought, and I was one of these guys, I was in the Belichick camp for a while until the 2016 season. And you can also make the argument that it, you know, Belichick basically after that season, when he didn't give Tom Brady the five-year contract extension, maybe with a couple dummy years on the end, which I, at that point I had given up. I said, 
Brady's proved his point. He he's outlasted Garoppolo. He's done all that stuff. Like he's he's the MVP, and they just won another Super Bowl. Like they just came back against the Falcons. Like I give up, Tom. I'm done doubting you. Like here's the five year contract extension. If he gets old, he gets old. He's earned it with five Super Bowls at that point. You know, the other side of the coin is if Belichick doesn't make that decision there where he basically makes Brady go year to year after that, which, trust me, Tom Brady was pissed about for years <laughs> after that um, when he didn't get that tr- contract extension. Like, d- is Brady as good in 20? 20- Do they win the 2018 Super Bowl? You know, maybe that like sort of Belichick little doubt on Brady's shoulder in the offseason, maybe that allowed him to push forward and get that sixth Super Bowl title. If he gets the five-year extension, is Tom Brady as motivated? And Jimmy's gone. Is Tom Brady as motivated? Did they win that title in 2018? We we don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I, I largely, you know, agree with you. I, I just, I would have given in. Um, that 2017 offseason, I would have given the five-year extension through 2022. And then let's see. And if if he gets old, he gets old. He's earned it with six Super Bowl titles. But, um, you know, I, I think I, I don't want to get into the history. It's there. If yeah. people want to believe history, they can believe it. If they want to believe in the Tooth Fairy, they can believe in the Tooth Fairy, that everything was hunky-dory and Tom Brady ended up playing for the Buccaneers for no reason. I mean, Joe Montana uh, ended up in Kansas City. Uh, Brett Favre ended up with the Jets and then the Vikings in Lambeau Field. And Tom Brady ended up with the Bucs winning a Super Bowl title and playing at Gillette as a member of the Tampa Bay Bucs and getting somewhat booed. Those things, none of those things happen if everything is great. Montana, Montana, it fell off at the end with the 49ers. Favre, obviously, it fell off at the end with the Packers. And obviously, it fell off at the end with Brady and Belichick. And that's okay. We can be mature and everything, everything can be um, truthful that they had a great partnership for a very long time. It ran its course. Um, they had to get divorced. It was not good at the end for the last like about three years. These things and, and that they, they can all be friends and, and, and embrace their legacy together now that Brady's done and Belichick's getting near the end. All of those things can be true at the same time, and I think that they are. Yeah, and and one more point before we get to Athletic Greens. We also have to remember, just because Brady went on and played for Tampa, kind of the same thing you you mentioned about, well, does he give that performance in New England if Jimmy G's gone and et cetera, et cetera. It it doesn't mean that Brady would have just marched the Patriots to more Super Bowls if he stayed in New England. I mean, the fact is he went to Tampa, and Tampa was loaded with a bunch of talent. And that's not to pull anything from Brady, but – that's a different team. It's a different team roster. It's a different coaching staff. So it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, Brady would have just went on this tear the final couple of years of his career in New England and everything would have ended with him holding up a Lombardi trophy. Not necessarily the case. All right, let's get to Athletic Greens, Greg. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
All right, before we uh, look at the Super Bowl, we got a couple of uh, coaching decisions and moves made over the last week or so for the Patriots. And, of course, I'm talking about Adrian Clem as offensive line coach. Will Long also brought in. Sounds like he could likely replace Nick Cayley as tight ends coach. But, Greg, I was talking to you before we hit the uh, record button, and you you mentioned that you've, you've talked to some people about Adrian Clem, and you've gotten some more information about him. So uh, please fill the people in on, on what you got. Okay, so you know, I I just want to I just want to be I want to clarify my position on this, Nick. Uh, you know, I you um, probably more than anybody realized that uh, uh, sports talk radio and Twitter and podcasts to some extent um, is where nuance goes to die. That yes, you know, I feel like just because I'm doing my due diligence and giving you all the sides and all the facts on Adrian Clem as he comes in here, I'm going to get, I get, I get painted as, well, you hate Adrian Clem and you hate this hiring. No, I, I don't, I don't know Adrian Clem. I don't know what kind of job he's going to do here. Is it going to be better than last year? Hell yeah, it better be. But look, everybody has um, a history. Everybody has um, a path to, to jobs. And it doesn't mean what happened in the past doesn't mean that that's going to be an indication of the future. People learn and improve. These are the facts on Adrian Clem. Okay. Here's the good. Okay. Oregon's line last year was great. His first year there, they led the nation in fewest sacks allowed. That's awesome. I talked to Jeff Schwartz, former NFL lineman. He's now a media personality. He's an Oregon product. I know he watches Oregon every single week. I asked him about Adrian Clem. He thought that he did a really good job. He said that he's really good on the X's and O's. He thinks he'll do a good job for the Patriots. Um, He's a good recruiter. Um, He did really well coaching college kids, whether it's SMU, UCLA, Oregon for one year. He's people, you you talk to people, and I talk to a lot of people. People know offensive line is sort of my thing. I know a lot of people in the offensive line um, community. I've built up a lot of contacts over the year. Over the years, people say that he does really well coaching college kids. Um, a lot of times you would say, well, that doesn't really, that might not work for the pros. And that's true. But you, we should also point out in the issue of fairness that Carm Brasillo, who did a good job here for the Patriots, enough that Josh McDaniels took him to Las Vegas to be his offensive line coach. And the Raiders' offensive line was pretty good this year. Um, Carm Brasillo came straight out of college to come to the Patriots. He came to Youngtown State. So that kind of uh, resume has worked for the Patriots. Um, maybe with Clem's uh, ability to coach young players, you know, we already know, you know, Michael Wenny who's relatively young, Cole Strange, first round pick. They're going to need another tackle. If they get rid of Trent Brown, if they move on from him, they could, they could have two basically rookie tackles or young tackles. Maybe that's part of the calculation here with Clem, that he's good with young players. And that could be good as opposed to, say, a veteran offensive line coach. Uh, when Adrian Clem left the Steelers with two games left in the regular season and his only year with the Steelers, Mike Tomlin said a bunch of terrific things about Adrian Clem, including he didn't have an issue with him leaving, he didn't have an issue with his professionalism, and all that. Um, and like I said, people change, they grow up. Maybe he learned from Pittsburgh, even if it was only one year ago what have you. Now, the other side of this, which you need to do as a journalist, okay? These are facts. When he was at UCLA, he never really developed anybody who was any good. 
Um, uh, Xavier Suofilo, who was drafted in the second round by the Texans, was his best prospect that he coached throughout his career. Suofilo was a terrible NFL offensive lineman. Doesn't mean anything. I'm just telling you the facts. A lot of his other guys have been sort of late round undrafted guys. What I don't understand, Nick, is, you know, he had a hand, Colton Miller, who is now the Raiders left tackle, who's a very good left tackle. Uh, he was he was a reserve sort of for UCLA um, when Clem was there. And, you know, Clem left for the Steelers and then Colton Miller sort of took on a starting role. He, he jumped off the page. He, he played his last year, his junior year, declared and was a 15th overall pick. I don't understand why Colton Miller is not in Adrian Clem's Oregon bio. He should be. He'd be the first line of my resume because he's by far the best player that Clem touched in college. Right. Uh, Adrian Clem did not last a year with as a Steelers offensive line coach. Um, you talk to p- people there, and people have heard about my reporting. I've talked to I, previously. I talked to two sources. They all basically said like he lined up another job. And Tomlin was like, you can go. Um, I talked to another Steelers source, um, very close to the coaches and also the front office there um, in recent days. He confirmed um, sort of what went on with with Adrian Clem. There's no, there's no hard feelings. I don't think there were hard feelings at the time. The way that I understand it now, a little bit more complete, um, Clem, for some reason, didn't really fit. Um, their sort of coaching room in Pittsburgh. He was kind of a loner. It's not a bad thing. Maybe he was just a lot younger. Maybe they skew older. I don't know. Whatever, whatever reason, it didn't like it. It didn't look like it was going to work out. And I think that was on both sides. They sort of understood it. Clem lined up another job. I think Mike Tomlin was not um, pining to retain Adrian Clem and was basically like. You know, you can leave now. We want to get a look at this assistant offensive line coach. Maybe he's the guy for next year. He wasn't. They hired a whole new guy, Flaherty, who did a really nice job um, this year. And so the other thing I wanted to point out, I, I just I wish the Patriots would have cast a little bit of a wider net. They didn't. They interviewed two known prospects, Clem, Belichick's first draft pick, and Ryan Wendell, who was a former player here. I wish they would have um, looked at a few more candidates. But uh, to me, this smells like a Belichick pick. Um, I'm sure O'Brien had some input on it, maybe deciding between those two, and he thought that Clem was the better fit. I hope that's the case because it's Bill O'Brien's offense, and he's going to be responsible for whatever Adrian Clem does. Hey, they got a guy who's actually coached the offensive line. It will be an upgrade by default. We'll see. Look, I'm not an offensive line guru. Maybe Clem ends up being fantastic. I do like the fact that Billy OB got one of his guys in lying in town. Uh, yep. He had the call, and we've talked about how important a tight ends coach is to the operation of an offense. So, you know, the fact that he got his guy in that spot uh, is a very, very good thing to me. And it does seem like Bill O'Brien will be the head coach of the offense, which is absolutely what needs to happen. So I can't complain so far. I'm actually pretty content and happy with what they've done. We'll see if they continue to add to that staff. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to make sure I was getting all the vitamins and nutritional supplements I needed in one place. Now I've been on it for seven months and I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy, kind of has a mild tropical taste, a little minty, and I actually look forward to it each morning. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, 
you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things you're looking for. I take it first thing in the morning. It's now part of my routine, and I'd be lost without it. I love how it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, while still tasting good. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com bedard. Again, that's athleticgreens.com bedard to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Greg, before we give our pick, just a couple minutes here on the keys to this game coming up on Sunday. Let's start with Kansas City. Your quick keys for the Kansas City Chiefs going against the Eagles. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, you know the big big keys are um, Patrick Mahomes is going to have to be great. He because um, I think the Eagles have the better overall team. I think they're better in the trenches on all sides of the ball, and I think Mahomes is going to have to be great. I think. Steve Spagnolo is going to have to do Spag's things. I mean, he's going to, I think he's one of the best Massachusetts guy. Love the guy. I think he's smart as hell with extra prep time. He's going to have stuff ready for the Eagles. And he's looking to create four or five negative plays that really swing the game, get the Eagles into long distance, couple, you know, a turnover or two. And so I think that's big for the Eagles. I think they, they need to, you know, do what they do. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit – I think they need to – if I'm them, I shut down Travis Kelsey. I don't care. I'm doubling him all over the place. I'm hitting him off the line. I'm taking Travis Kelsey away from from Patrick Mahomes. I'm making Mahomes beat uh, me with everybody else. Uh, I would look at – if I were them, I would look at the Raiders, what they did. Yes, uh, Travis Kelsey caught four touchdown passes, but really he was like – four for nine yards and four touchdowns. I mean, the Raiders did a really nice job between the 20s. They had a hard time in goal to go. I would look at that. And I think that the Eagles need to, they're going to need to run the ball. If they can get over 100, if they can get 175 yards rushing, I think they win this Super Bowl going away. You know, this is like, uh, at points, I'm, I'm happy that you and I are so much on the damn same page, but other points, I'm like, <sighs> Literally, here are my keys for Kansas City that I typed up. Protect Mahomes, Spags versus the Philadelphia offensive line, and I also threw in Kansas City's lack of wide receiver depth with Nicole Hardman uh, being out of this game. My keys for Philly were run game, keep Mahomes from extending plays, get some pressure, and of course, in bold, limit Kelsey. So needless to say, I agree with everything you just mentioned. Super Bowl pick, Eagles minus one and a half, Greg. Yeah, I, I really want to pick the Chiefs just because I think it'll be fun and it'll be fun in New England that the you know Mahomes and the Chiefs sort of edge towards the Patriots and and that always makes for some interesting tension and maybe you know a bit of a rivalry going forward that you know the Patriots are trying to beat back the Chiefs um, from approaching what they've done. But I'm sorry, at the end of the day, look, everybody knows they listen to this podcast. I'm a football guy. I have certain beliefs about football. The Eagles are the better football team, and you know while I don't think Jalen Hurts is all that good, and I think he's uh, the Eagles and what he's done sort of represents the uh, the hope of the Patriots with Mac Jones in terms of 
you know, building up the team, building up the offensive line, all that stuff. Um, I think that uh, I just think the Eagles are they're they're just better. Um, they're better on their defensive line, their offensive line. I think those two lines dominate the game. Everybody knows I love trench warfare. I think the game's decided there, and I can't I can't be a hypocrite, Nick, and go with the flashy QB guy and over the uh, line play. So I'm going with the Eagles. I want to say like tw- uh, 30, 24. <laughs> really? Uh, not the score. I didn't pick a score. But I wish I could show people my computer. Eagles by six, what I had. Um, yeah, everything you said, offensive line, I think they'll do a good job against Chris Jones. Chris Jones absolutely murdered that Cincinnati yes. offensive line in the first half. I think Philly will handle that because they have one of the best offensive lines in football. I think Hassan Reddick is a beast and very tough to deal with. Hopefully Kansas City has a better plan than Kyle Shanahan trying to block him with a backup tight end and a wide receiver. Um, I think that defensive line will get home a few times, and I, I agree. I just think the Eagles are more talented, so I'll go with the Eagles by six. I would lay the uh, one-and-a-half points. That'll do it for this week's uh, podcast. Any breaking news will be on it, of course. Uh, thanks to Athletic Greens and BetOnline.ag. Until next time, when we recap the Super Bowl and we'll talk more Patriots, he's Greg, and I'm Nick. <laughs>